Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Play enough video games over time and you'll start to notice the sharing of ideas. Influence taken, inspiration given, design philosophies, bankable mechanics, character archetypes. There's a ton of crossover with other entertainment mediums, but often when something takes off, the competition will directly ape it for a few years after. Obviously, this is how we get trends. But stay too long in that mindset and you've become a cliche. A tired trope the audience has seen way too much of that simply needs to change or be eliminated altogether. Gauging the lifespan of these things is incredibly hard. And when the turnaround on your average big budget title is three to five years, it's easy for a quote-unquote brand new game to be full of outdated concepts. I'm Scott from WhatCulture.com and these are the nine most overdone cliches in modern video games. Number nine, The Mysterious Overturned Cart. Witcher 3 definitely set this back in motion in 2015 and was rightfully praised for getting it right. Since then, however, many IPs distill this setup down to its barest steps. Find overturned cart or vehicle, push button to inspect, track down NPC that didn't want to be found, reveal truth. Assassin's Creed Origins and Odyssey are stuffed full of these setups, and even Ghost of Tsushima fell prey to it a few times too. Red Dead Redemption 2, Fallout 76, Kingdom Come Deliverance, when the content itself isn't very rewarding, an arbitrary overturned cart feels like a dialogue interaction with extra steps. Number 8, the two types of climbing sections. Type 1, everything collapses. This came directly from the Uncharted book of Action Adventure, where if you're climbing any section of handholds, let's say one in three will collapse. Cue you falling back down to climb up again, or dangling off what remains as you push a button or complete a quick time event to regain composure. Type 2, follow this weirdly neat sequence of handholds. This seems to be a way to add a baseline mechanical variety to what you're doing in a game, but it's in the most plain way possible. Horizon Zero Dawn, Ghost of Tsushima, Far Cry, God of War, all give you specific highlighted paths of perfectly placed handholds to simply pilot your protagonist up or down. God of War eventually narrativized this in a pretty genius fashion by tying it to Kratos' wife, knowing exactly where he'd go the whole time, but many other titles have pathways that feel way too gamey and all-round immersion-breaking. The last big game to revolutionise climbing and do it right was Breath of the Wild. Before that was Grow Home, and before that was the original Assassin's Creed, where buttons were assigned to your head, arms, and legs. This latter system went nowhere because we all just held sprint and the leg button to auto-climb, but clearly so much more could be done if developers took verticality seriously. 
Number seven, difficulty through numbers, not skill. It's hard to pin down precisely when this went mainstream, but every time a game's challenge is predicated on making you grind out some levels and numbers rather than actually get better at timing or combat mechanics, that is the issue. We're talking areas of an open world game gated by one-hit kill enemies, a boss that flattens you because their level is more than five above yours, even though all they're doing is jabbing at you with the same dagger. Ostensibly, it's the sort of game design MMORPGs focus on balancing out for months or years worth of play, condensed and crowbarred into a AAA action title. Why? Well, often it's to alleviate the grind by pointing you towards microtransactions or pre-order stat bonuses. As I record this, Marvel's Avengers looks to be another one of these games, a title where you're only as powerful as whatever statistic is on your current piece of loot, only as effective as whatever canned animation you can trigger over and over, and if you can't hit hard enough, the only recourse is to grind until that number is higher. Contrast this with games where you actually get better as a player, Ghost of Tsushima, Sekiro, Breath of the Wild, those that hide their numbers altogether feel far more natural and rewarding to play. Number 6. Following a character while a location is under siege. As a quick aside, what is it about all of these tailing sections in games that developers are convinced we care about? Even the mighty Ghost of Tsushima, which I feel I've mentioned in every single entry here, gives you a couple of tailing missions across its runtime. Though more to the point, it also opens with a village under siege, and of course you'll be going spot to spot as everything plays out. It's this latter setup that is so overdone. Seriously, how many times have we had to wait for a patrol to pass, only to crouch walk over to another piece of cover, wait for a couple of guards having an unrelated conversation to finish, so we can walk forward again? There's always some innocent bystander being killed to the side but you can't help them, often a main villain just out of reach because you need to wait until later. These sections never get held up as memorable, they're easily the worst parts of Tsushima, and I'm yet to meet anybody who actually enjoys them. Number 5. The Late Game 5-Step Fetch Quest Seen in Mass Effect 3, Anthem, Death Stranding, Fallout 4, Dead Rising 2, and scores of other titles, this trope is best exemplified by The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. There, as the game was drawing to a close, Nintendo had you embark on a fetch quest that repeated eight times, asking you to chase down separate Triforce shards, each required an interaction with character Tingle, and a price tag to reveal their location. You'd then have to journey out to a spot on the ocean and retrieve the shard before repeating the process through to completion. It ground the game down to a halt, and was so hated by the fandom that Nintendo, very much known for doing their own thing at all times, dropped this requirement down to three shards for the Wii U re-release. Regardless, there's nothing worse than what is essentially a playable roadblock gating access to a finale you've otherwise been working towards, and it breaks all sense of pacing in the process. Number 4. The Skeleton with the Audio Diary First done as a skeleton with a diary in the Elder Scrolls games, once Bioshock injected narrative by way of audio diaries, this has become the way to do environmental storytelling. Audio diaries are a great way to highlight a wider character pool for any title, but having it so that every character spills out the relevant information to your quest as their final words, that's the trope that we've started seeing left, right and center. The Last of Us 2, Assassin's Creed, Fallout 76, The Surge 2, Prey, even Doom Eternal. What's worse is making you stand there waiting for dialogue to finish, as chances are if you move forward, some element of gameplay or a cutscene trigger will interrupt what's being said. 
Obviously, there are so many other ways to bolster your game's narrative or world rather than forcing us to stop and just listen. Give us abandoned homesteads, clashes between NPCs, signature parts of the world itself, or remnants of ancient battles. So many teams fall back on this skeleton slash audio diary combo rather than come up with or be allowed to implement anything original. Number three, need to hide, use the tall grass. I mentioned how much climbing as a game mechanic has been reduced to a set of handholds, but stealth? We now have an entire genre minimized to just hide in the tall grass. Honestly, try and think of a dedicated stealth game from the last few years. You've got Hitman, A Plague Tale Innocence, Mike Bithell's Volume, and that's about it. The vast majority of titles that used to champion this as a signature genre trait have minimized it entirely. Assassin's Creed and Metal Gear introduced more action to the character's movesets, and the former in particular has gone all out over the top carnage, with Odyssey and Valhalla seeing your quote-unquote assassin just butcher entire armies with supernatural powers. Stealth as a genre definitely had a boom across the 2000s following Metal Gear Solid, Splinter Cell, and Hitman. But if you're gonna include it in a game, don't just make it the most boilerplate version possible. Number two, a huge open world with nothing to do. Anthem, Mass Effect Andromeda, Just Cause 3, Days Gone, all championed the idea of humongous, immersive, or otherwise worthwhile open worlds, but forgot to give you anything memorable inside. Anthem was every bit the product of its troubled development, a world raised or lowered to accommodate a flight mechanic that the developers simply couldn't decide on until months before launch. Mass Effect Andromeda was the same, taking Dragon Age Inquisition's hinterlands problem and multiplying it across every planet. Just Cause's notion of destruction itself being the thing you do worked best for the first couple of entries when Havoc Physics alone were noteworthy, but the franchise has struggled massively to offer anything else. Games just shouldn't be open world for the sake of it. Titles like The Witcher 3, Breath of the Wild, and yet again Ghost of Tsushima fundamentally tie their character and story progressions to that of the world itself. Anything less and we're verging on something included for the back of a box or advert rather than necessity. Here is the test of an open world game. If once you've unlocked the ability to fast travel it comes as a relief, something you do to get to the real game and bypass the world, then that game has failed as an open world experience. Number 1. Moving slowly through crevices to hide load times. Hopefully if we all gather in a praying circle and will this into being really hard, the next generation should solve this trope. Done out of the need to mask load times, over the years we've seen different studios tackle the issue in different ways. Gears of War giving you those slow moving conversation sections, kinda genius because they became iconic, and you had no idea the game was frantically queuing up another set of enemies in the background. Horizon Zero Dawn only loads whatever your camera is pointed at, and God of War, besides one part where you awkwardly crouch walk through a portion of hell, hides its loads by locking you in a spiralling pathway until the next area is ready. The majority of AAA titles though fall back on crevices and slow moving tight space sections. Once you notice this, it is everywhere. From Final Fantasy VII Remake to Gears 5, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order to Shadow of the Tomb Raider. They even popped up during Epic's Unreal Engine 5 tech demo, angering those who thought that SSD technology might solve the problem. Epic have since noted that this was a way to show off next-gen texture work, but the fact that so many large games forgo load screens for something less potentially informative and all-round more tedious needs to be addressed. Sure, something like a GTA or an Uncharted has one huge load at the start, but that's drastically more preferable than awkwardly shuffling forward every 20 minutes. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.